Local environment heroes Saving the trees and the bees And doing it daily Welcome to the Local Environment Heroes podcast A podcast that brings you a series of chats with some amazing local heroes From here in Canberra and from further afield Who are doing ace things for our world The podcast is produced and supported by the Canberra Environment Centre and your hosts are Fiona Verkinen, the Deputy Director of the CEC, and Julie Bolton, a sustainability strategist based in Canberra. Local and we're away. I believe it is recording. I'm just going to... Yes, it's all doing what it needs to do. All right. Fiona, yay! Julie! Hi, it's so good to see you in person. It is good to see you too. I am... So super pumped about this episode that we're bringing to our listeners today. I think this one's gold. Absolutely. Diego Bonetto. Diego Bonetto. Does that sound good? I'm not Italian. You're half Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Not exactly. Um, So Diego Bonetto, he is amazing. He is the author of Eat Weeds, a guide to... um, Foraging for weeds, right? Yes. All about eating what's what's around you in yeah. the garden. Hang on, let me just he is a he is the author of Eat Weeds, a field guide to foraging. Um, this is a book that I had had my eye on for a long time. I'd put in a request from the library and I finally got the text message that it would be set aside for me. I borrowed it on Friday and been poring over it all weekend. And then it was an absolute pleasure to speak to Diego about his beautiful book and about his experience connecting with his local environment and foraging for delicious treats. And the book, he tells us in the podcast, the book's onto its fourth reprint now because it's just everyone is really interested in this, which excites me because unlike you, I would not call myself a forager. I'd call myself a nervous, (laughs) nervous eater, nervous purveyor of what could be in the ground. But he and you say, oh, Julie, come on, just get out there. Yeah, absolutely. And the way he speaks about the connection to the environment and also the way we have this innate knowledge and intuition in us once we tap into it. And I, I just loved that about this conversation with him. And yeah, there's just so much to learn. I really loved Diego. how he tells his story or he talks about how once you've started foraging or once you really take note of what's around you, you don't see, like you don't see the road in the intersection. You see, well, that's the tree that is going to have flowers on it, bear fruit at this particular time of year. So you start to name things and you start to go well that's the hill with the mulberry tree and that's the place where we go to get the mushrooms so you you start to really have this intimate connection with the country and then then that brings a sense of stewardship and custodianship Mm. because you really want to protect that mulberry tree because you want to forage come is it summer or autumn when you get your mulberries (laughs) see i really am a novice it also reminded me of this time years ago i lived in korea and we went to this amazing restaurant at the back of – so there's this amazing mountain. It carries amazing, amazing mountain called Mount Soriksan, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and we went to this restaurant just at the base of Mount Sorosan, which was just – like all that was on the menu was local weeds, like everything local from within the hillside – that they pick and they pickle. So it had like mm. guju berry on there. It had like all of gochang paste, all the different kinds of delicacies that Koreans like to 
use, which is incredible, like kimchi fermented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will never forget that meal. Amazing. Like it was the most extraordinary meal. And it really did. Like you're looking outside, it was snowing and it was so poetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're eating plates full of weeds, looking outside at the weeds in the snow. And you really felt like, oh, I'm part of this. Yeah. I'm part of this world around me and that's what Diego talks about when you're eating from your direct environment you're eating local fresh seasonal food and yeah it's that connection to the environment because your nutrition is directly derived from the land immediately around you have you ever been have you ever been worried about foraging or it's just been natural to you it's always been part of what you do I think I've always been I was born overconfident. <laughs> Love it. Love it. No, but it's about using your common sense. Yeah. You look at it and you think if it's something, some beautiful wild fennel is growing directly next to a highway, maybe I won't pick that fennel. Yeah. Because of the, whereas you move away from the road and you find some wild fennel in a field away from any contaminants and then there's beautiful fennel seeds, for example. What's Holland. the best what's the best thing about his book? Uh, I love his photos and I just love that down-to-earth feel that empowers you that you can give it a go. There's beautiful photos to help you identify different plants and you go, you know what, I'm going to start with one. I'm going to start with a dandelion or I'm going to start with nettle and you just go from there. Amazing, amazing. So shall we we let our listeners in on the treat that is Diego? Absolutely. All right, hope you enjoy. (laughs) I hope that wasn't too long. Let's jump into it. So the first question we have for you today, Diego, is has there been a defining moment in your life where you have looked at the world and thought something needs to change now? Hi. Okay. I think there's been a lot of micro moments. I Mm. think uh, lots of realizations uh, that happen constantly all the time. So I'm an environmental educator. I teach people about plants. So plants is my love. You know, I have an incredible amount of empathy for green friends. And seeing plants, ecologies mistreated in all sorts of ways, to see ecology mistreated makes me sad. And as humans, we need to stop that. As humans, we need to... Um, start to shed earth, let go of our need to overcome everything else. It's all about us because it's actually biting us back in the bottom. Mm. We need to start to a system that we learn how to cohabitate with other species from uh, plants to insects to animals to uh, mycology to um, uh, everything else, the living environment all around us, which is what made us. And we are now uh, trying to overcome since industrialization, since the start of Cartesian thought that the man is bigger than than anything else and everything else can be subjugated. we need to change that. And every single moment I see nature being um, mistreated, and it makes me sad. Mm. So, so there you have it, micro moments all yeah. the time. 
So it sounds like you're valuing coexisting with the environment and these yes. micro moments of whether they're negative or positive, they're having an impact. Absolutely. Like there's good and bad things happening all the time. And, uh, and there's a lot of people like me who want to change the way we live on this earth. And by paying respect to resources, by paying respect to ecologies, by allowing space for ecologies, and by coming away from the idea that our needs are paramount. Our needs are only within a context of everything else's needs. You're famous for foraging and weeds. And so this mm. is what we really want to get in and talk to you about. Like, we need to know a little bit more from you. Like, what, what is foraging? Explain the concept to us. Okay, foraging. You want the short story or the long story? The in-between. The in-between <laughs> story. Okay. I'm Both. Give, give it all you. to us. <laughs> I'm going to give you a short story with uh, entanglements. All right. <laughs> So the short story, foraging is the oldest of skills. We've been practicing foraging since we were single cell organisms. We've been eating what was around us before we were fishes, before we, have, we had legs. Foraging is the oldest connection that we have to everything around us. We are what we are because we managed to extract nutrients from whatever was around us. And whatever was around us allowed us to be what we are. We are what we are, standing up straight, eyes in front of our face, two hands, two legs, to maximize the way to harvest food from our environment. We are foraging machines. So, foraging is the oldest of skills and it's been practiced all over the world since forever, since we were single cells organisms. And the only stop harvesting from our environment effectively about three generations ago when it became unpopular, it became a sign of poor, it became shameful. Um, some of your listeners from, you know, from any backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, you know, whatever, you know, any backgrounds might have had the experience of driving with the uncle and aunties. They stop the car, they jump out and start collecting things from the fields and they feel all ashamed. Oh, don't do that. Stop doing that. Jeez, there's someone from school. Don't get to do that ever again in front of other people. Shameful. These ancient skills of connecting with the land, connecting with the resources, learning about resources as, as caretakers is being shamed out of us. Our grandmothers wouldn't known about foragings all over the world. I don't care where you're from. Your grandmother wouldn't known about foraging. Some cultures still practice today, but at the very least, three generations ago was common knowledge. And then three generations ago became unpopular because it was shameful. Supermarket, mate, don't you have money? Last generation knowledge was lost because mm. we didn't do it. This is the knowledge that you know, you own, you know how to do it when you do it, when you have lived experience. Once you do it, you smell it, you touch it, you see it in the environment, you taste it in place, 
you know it. And yes. it's for you to share. Yeah. Now, this is the generation that people want the knowledge back. Mm -hmm. This is the generation that people start gardening again. People, young people go back to farms, unheard of. Up to 20 years ago, people were, the young people were fleeing farms. Now, young people want to go back to farms. First generation farmers, young people want to go back to land. We want to go back to these old skills that connect us to land and create resilience futures. Mm. Today, foraging is trendy. It's mm. a keyword to the level that a chef collect a couple of leaves on his walk to the kitchen and put them on top of your plates in name the whole plate after those couple of leaves yes elevates the cost of that dish of about twenty dollars yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i i know exactly what you're talking about diego <laughs> so three generations ago no one called it foraging oh. three generations ago three generations ago they called it a young guy here's the bag get out of here come back with food uh -huh. Yeah, that's what they called it. Interesting. So, Diego, with that whole like that explanation you've just given us, t to me, it, it sounds like foraging. Like to begin with, I thought, well, foraging is just about going out and getting food and bringing it, it back. But actually, yeah. But you're talking more. It's more about it's connection. Way more. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about it. What what is this whole experience about? Foraging is getting free food from the land. Mm -hmm. All is happy. You go and join your Bushwijian crew. You help them out, collecting, you know, pulling out weeds from the park. You fill up your fridge. Great. Okay. And it's fantastic for that. The simplicity of it is incredible. Okay. And the simplicity of it is what is important. Foraging is collecting food that is being given to you from the land is a gift of the land. While you're doing that, without even thinking, without even realizing, a whole bunch of processes yeah. start. Okay? You don't realize, you don't need to know. Nature will do that to you. You will learn cycles. You will understand season. You will yourself with fragility of ecologies. Mm. You will start a map of your neighborhood where you go around and you will see your neighborhood coming away from a crossroad to the school to a mulberry tree yeah. and lemon myrtle up there. The lily pillies, I need to go and check on the lily pillies. You will become a stakeholder of your neighborhood. Oh gosh, because I love that. And because you're a stakeholder, as in, I get free food out of that mulberry trees, automatically change you into, whether you like it or not, nature will do that to you. It changes, it changes you into a caretaker. Why is that? Because if someone come along and cut the mulberry trees, you get upset. 
that's that's what I like the humans to be everywhere, all over the world, in all our cities, in all our peripheral realities of the living life that we have today. Mm -hmm. Become a stakeholder. Mm -hmm. Take care of all your resources. Become upset when someone cut the mulberry tree. Yeah. So a caretaker and, is quite an active, mm, it's a very it's active, active role. And it's, it's something that happens inside you. You do not need to f force it. You do not need to uh, consciously uh, walk out, I'm going to be a caretaker. Because when it happens within yourself, it becomes automatic. You don't even need to call it anything. All you need to do is get three mulberries from the tree. The rest happen by itself. I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> from my experience, it's not just oh that hill over there. It's that hill that has those two really good plum trees. <laughs> Indeed. And you go back to that hill yeah. in season, waiting for the plum trees. What people living in the country, look after countries all over the world, do the most. It's not interacting with country, but going out for a walk and check out on country. Because yeah. then when the plants are ready, so are you. And so, Diego, I know that you run a whole, a whole heap of these wild food um, foraging workshops. Uh, I'm really interested to hear about the advice that you give around how people can begin on their foraging and their eating weed adventures? I give tools, I give cornerstones to people. If you know nothing, okay, uh, go slow. Mm -hmm. Start with one, two, three species, three is too many. You start with one, two, three species in your backyard, learn them well. If your botanical knowledge is zero next to zero, you need to learn how to identify plants. You need to learn how to read clues. So step one, go slow. Learn simple ones. I don't know. Dandelions, nettle, chickweed, purslane, plantain, too many already. Okay? <laughs> we all have them. You have them in your backyard right now. Go and find them, learn them. Learn them well so you know the plants when it's this small, yeah. when it's just sprouting out, when it comes to flower, so you know the flower, when it finishes and it comes to seeds, so you know what it does, and when it dies, so you know what it looks when it's dead. Okay? So you know the plants through all the cycles to the level that um, wherever you walk, you see it everywhere. Yes, absolutely. And I love the comment that you've made in your book where you've written, if it looks like a stick, it probably tastes like a stick. It's great. It's great because it's funny. You're laughing. That's it. I've done my job. There's, there's a lot of talk around at the moment about how people will need to eat um, fly larvae like maggots and you know, the whole crickets and insect eating, okay. which I know is done yeah, in lots of places around the world. And I saw a clip on TV the other night where people were going, oh, no, couldn't possibly eat any of that. I wonder if weeds has the same perception. Do people say, oh, couldn't possibly eat a weed? But really, like in the world we're entering into and the world we're in now, 
Like eating weeds, this should be embraced, right? Let's put this in context. We've been eating weeds since forever. Any species in our market gardens, any agricultural species that we eat today is a glorified weed, a pioneer species that through the selection process today of modern agriculture has been selected to be our food source. They all are weeds. Weeds are not, is not a botanical term nice by scientists. It's not the terms that they use to classify a species. Weed is a qualitative judgment on a plant you do not know the value of. Weed oh, is something that's you really do not, interesting. Weed is something that you do not know how to use. You didn't plant yourself. You, you don't like it because you didn't plant yourself. You mistrust and therefore you kill. Weed is botanical discrimination. A rose bush in the middle of a cornfield is a weed. A corn plant in the middle of a rose garden is a weed. Mm. Okay? So it's not what it is. The people who manage whatever land we're talking about, we decide that that does not belong. In my work, I reclaim in that word. Some plants are problematic in the environment they're growing, okay? But that does not make all plants that do not belong to your scheme of what things should belong problematic and not necessary for the ecology to progress into a system of healing and self-healing. The concept of weeds denies the whole idea of natural intelligence. You're asking, we should eat weeds today. Number one, there's plenty. Mm-hmm. Buckets. Yeah. They're growing if you don't want to. Yeah. You purposely go out in your garden, pulling them out on a regular basis. The vast majority of work of farmers and market gardens is weeding, not mm-hmm. harvesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. To change that weeding into taking advantage of resources, it takes zero. As you pull it out, you put it in a bucket as opposed in a pile. Many of the plants that you pull out from your garden are actually edible or medicinal, sometimes both. Not all of them, not everything is yummy, but you know, that can be (laughs) sent about plenty of foods too. An incredible amount of them is actually beneficial. So why eating weeds? Because there's plenty. They grow whether you like it or not. Because uh, they're beneficial. The uh, pioneer species, particularly the self-starter ones, mm-hmm. are plants that grow out out of their own will. They're genetically stronger. Yes. Therefore, they carry a genetic trait, which is quite more important for us in our nutritional reality. It is understood that generically, wild plants, i.e. weeds, are four times more nutrition than the plants you buy at the supermarket. If wow. nothing else, because they grow out of their own will, they didn't grow out, out of fed by fertilizers, water, and uh, you know facilitated environments. So the plants that grow, they're big and grow strong, but they have no guts. A bit like spoiled kids, you know. They might be pretty, but that's all you got, mate. So, so uh, they better for you. Fiber 
is real fiber. Mineral, they actually have it. Vitamins is good quality vitamins. When you eat well plants, first of all, it's strong tasting. Many, not all of them, are strong tasting because it's a real plant. Mm. And it's not iceberg lettuce. Iceberg lettuce, we all love it, tastes like water, and that's what you're eating. So they've stronger tasted, but they provide higher level nutritional qualities. So uh, by eating wild plants, you find yourself to need to eat less. The reason why we eat big quantities is because we're not getting the nutritional necessity that we need from the food we're eating. So we need more of it, bulk of it, to get the same amount of nutrition that we need as an organism from a handful of weeds. When you talk about harvesting from your backyard and um, mm. you're not just talking about a, a literal backyard either, are you? You are right. By backyard, I mean, uh, I mean the, the environment you connected to, you know, your immediate environment that you walk or you have or not. Because not everyone's got a backyard. We live in cities. The vast majority of people do not have access to backyards. You still can be a successful forager and introduce in your diet, at the very least, some seasonal produce that will enter your nutritional landscape, you know, like, for example, mushroom coming up, mushroom season. You're in Canberra, you go forest on mushrooms. Like you go in the pine forest, you fill up your two boxes of pine mushrooms, go home, eat mushroom for a week. Beyond that, you preserve for the rest of the year. So your backyard can be beyond your immediate yeah. backyard. For people who have a backyard, they're growing vegetables or whatever. They have a vegetable patch or they have, you know, a vegetable box, wicking beds or whatever it is that you're growing food out of. Even the pots in your balconies yeah. will get weeds. Yes, it's true. Okay? Yeah. Have a look at it. Before you pull it, name it. When you name a weed, what does that do? How does that change your relationship with the weed and with your environment? By naming a weed, you pay respect to the, the plant itself. Weed mm. is a made-up concept that we use to okay. define something we do not want. Weed is a qualitative judgment, as I said before. Yeah. It's just something that we don't like for whatever reason. But you're not saying name it like call it Jenny or Peter. <laughs> no, no, no. Saying call it what it is. Yeah, go find, and find out, out. That's right. Find out what it is. You get dandelions growing as a weed in your pots, southeastals, purslane, chickweed, wood sorrel in your pots. If yeah. you can't find them, call me. <laughs> okay, these are plants that are food and medicine since forever. Dandelion, dandelion in any traditional medicine systems all over the world is a, one of the most respected medicinal plants. If you get any book at the library on herbal medicine, there is four pages on dandelion alone. Yeah. That plant grows like a weed in your pot, in your backyard, in the park. Find out what it is, name it, pay respect. That's a gift of nature. That's a really lovely way of looking at it. Um, what's your favourite weed? Dandelions. <laughs> Do you make dandelion tea? I did in the past. I just 
eat dandelions. You know, I, I like the flowers. This year I made a whole bunch of dandelion capers, as in you get the buds of the flowers before they sprout and you just put them in uh, salt. You just preserve them yes. in salt and vinegar. You make capers, yummy. Uh, we dry dandelions and then we have the dandelions petals that we sprinkle all everything. I like the leaves. I grew up eating dandelions, so I'm not so um, off put by the bitter flavor of dandelions, which I understand not everyone is used to it, but you know, I'm Italian, so I eat bitter. And dandelion is one of the first plants I learned when I was a young, a young kid at four or five years old. Mum used to send out me and sister and go and collect the dandelions in springtime, you know, late, late winter. Uh, and go and collect the dandelions for very specific nutritional cycles. The bitter greens are very important in your diet, particularly after the month of winter, where we go through historically a month of uh, fatty, preserved, starchy food of winter. At the end of winter, you want to wash it all out and prepare uh, yeah. your stomach for yeah. the summer foods, for the berries. Mm -hmm. These nutritional cycles are very important to reacquaint ourselves because it's what made us. The fridge is only about 80, 90 years old, 80 years old. Before the 1940s, hardly anyone had a fridge. Many didn't get in until the 50s. Before that, some lucky people had um, a cool box and the very wealthy ones also had eyes. Not everyone could afford to buy ice. Okay, so the fridge, the availability of food on a longer scale, on a longer time frame, mm. only very recent. Before that, we never had a fridge. We ate seasonal because that what was available. We preserved because that was possible. Yes. We created the modern dishes, the way to cook food today, mm. which now they make my kitchen rules with it, as a system to preserve food or to uh, process food so it's more digestible for longer period. Yeah. Okay? Mm. So cooking is not being created to make things taste better. Cooking is being created to allow a longer period of availability of nutritional qualities from the produce you harvest. If people start to get a bird view of what we are, how we can hear, helps. We're just so foggy up and so misguided by all of these, you know, marketing machines that defraud us continuously, that we forget the simplicity, the ground rules, the, the bottom part of it all, where we all came and where it all was up to very recently. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. I love I love how you've just, in the past 30 minutes, just really um, shifted our mindsets completely, like just said everyone needs to have sorry. this mindset shift. Oh. No, it's fantastic. It's awesome. <laughs> this is exactly why we love having these conversations, because you just bring but, but, a new perspective and a better way, a different way of looking at things, which is so, really important. If I may, and in, in due respect, you know this already. Yeah, yeah. I shifted, uh, inverted comma, shifted your mindset because you recognize truth within it. It's not yeah. that I changed the way you see yeah. things. 
I made you see from what you from you recognize this. Yeah. You you know this already. Yeah. So that's very important thing. So I'm not giving you anything new. This is old. Mm. Very old. It's always been. Uh, I remember a while back talking to this uh, old uncle, Uncle Don, respect, and um, he was saying it's simple. And people make such an incredible effort to understand simple. Mm. Yeah. So it's about well, tuning into your gut instinct and trusting when you observe something. And if it looks like a stick, it probably is a stick. But if it looks like a dandelion, yeah. having the trust in yourself that it that it is a yeah. dandelion. <laughs> if I can just pick up that stick joke and expand on it, which is quite, I mean, I say that stick joke all the time. My wife tells me say that I should make a T-shirt. You know, if it looks like a stick, it tastes like a stick. Um, so that joke, which is hopefully a watershed moment for people, because, you know, I made them aware of what they know already. Yes. So yeah. What I do is not, I don't teach anything new. What I do is allow people to realize what they know already. People have the skills to engage with foraging already. You're a human, you're a mammal, you are made for foraging, okay? Yeah. You are what you are because you are a foraging machine. Mm. Realize that. Realize the um, innate knowledge that we all hold. It's not something that you need to seek and dig and go to some guru or whatever. Go to the guru, absolutely. But uh, <laughs> please become aware of your truth. Yeah. You use this truth all the time. You go to the greens grocer, you're looking for parsley, the parsley look bent down and ugly. You don't buy it. Am I right? Yeah. One look at the parsley, you know if you want to buy it or not. Okay. You don't need to be told, oh, this you put it, take it home, it's going to come back alive. You have these skills already. Foraging is the same thing. You go around, you're looking at plants. If the plants look green, juicy, happy, and strong, probably it's because it's green, juicy, happy, and strong. <laughs> if it looks like a stick, it tastes like a stick. <laughs> oh. I, I think we do need that T-shirt printed. <laughs> we do, we do. But <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go to our five hero questions that we have at the right. end of every podcast. So... I'll start with the first question. Congratulations, you've just been elected the president of the world. What's the one yeah. change that you try to implement first? Edible cities. Okay. Edible cities. Work at any level of government, stakeholders, managers, or whatever it is. Change the environment in direct contact with us as human into food growing locations land-loving uh, forums, land-loving areas. Because when you transform your laneways into a fruit orchard, you would want to walk that laneway for months waiting for the fruit to be ready. <laughs> and you look after that laneway, you shift the understanding of the value of our resources 
Yeah. You change the way we look after our resources. You yeah. start to harvest water. You start to recycle and compost everything because, you know, it's an edible city. There's food everywhere. It, um, it look after a whole bunch of things like food securities, uh, creating system to instigate neighborhood love, settling down people so they stop and keep buying housing and moving left and right, left and right. Because if they plant a tree, they might want to wait for the fruit to come up. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm imagining great arbors and all kinds of mulberries. And things. It doesn't need to happen overnight. Just Food forest here, food forest there, edible yeah. uh, walkways here. You know, it can happen in things. And people say, what about pollution? Then you start to think, oh, maybe we should stop pollution because I want to eat that grass. <laughs> it forces an understanding or um, a process of looking after land. Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Transform everyone into caretakers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Edible cities. Diego, question number two is, it is 2030, describe the world that you see around you. Food growing everywhere. Um, land treated like food was growing out of it. I'm coming back to what I said before. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I green, think it's, it's edible cities, green, isn't it? We want this by 2030. Spaces, connecting everyone with the environment. Yeah, uh, cohabiting a uh, system of cohabitation with other species. Yeah. Um, so edible cities can be more than just area just for your tomatoes. Can also be areas just for the bees, just mm. for the frogs. A system of ecological ecological liveliness in our urban and peri-urban environment, mm -hmm. easing the pressure in our agricultural systems and. Um, allowing for a better distribution of resources because yeah. the distance between the produce and the consumer become nil and it's starting off a new a brand new economy around looking after taking care processing exchanging and so forth it creates a whole new um a frame set uh, of uh, distribution of resources it's radical Love isn't it, it? radical mm -hmm. um Diego, growing up or, or even now, like who, who are your environmental heroes? Who do you look up to? Uh, I'm going to give you several. Rachel Carson, um, she's the writer of Silent Spring, 1960 book. Yeah. Um, you know, a seminal book on what are we doing to land? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you just, you know, uh, uh, it's the book that instigated the ban of DDT an observation over a long period of time of the way we destroying ecology mm -hmm. in total denial of what we're doing. And very fast, so fast. You know, um, Bandana Shiva, Bandana yeah. Shiva, eco-feminist, um, amazing. Uh, uh, amazing, yeah, incredible woman. What I love of Bandana Shiva is the strength. I keep finding new podcasts of her. How many podcasts did she do? You know, every, everyone wants to talk to Vandana. I want to talk to Vandana Shiva. And so um, incredible. What, what I really love of Vandana Shiva is the, 
the generous, humble, and warm strength mm. of a voice. She's unapologetic and yet generous, humble, and mm. warm. Yeah. yeah. So how important is that? You know, so that she's <laughs> she's not shouting at people. She's not forcing anything onto people. She's just saying what it is, what it's always been, defending what it's always been with the whole of her campaigns to save seeds and, you know, counteracting the patterning on seeds and so forth. Mm -hmm. You know, go and look her up, you know, Vandana Shiva, she's one of the key eco-feminists that we have today. Um, Costa? Oh, I, I love, love Costa. Costa. Well, and, we all love Costa. Um, and he's um, written the... The intro to your book. Did 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 I love Costa when you know oh, we have a, such a, um, a bromance me and Costa you know I love oh. it you know just um, I don't know ten twelve years ago he yeah. pulled me into garden in Australia he was presenting me uh, going around and showing people weeds you know and he knows what I'm talking about you know he's got a yeah, yeah. he knows exactly what I'm talking about this is not something coming out of, you know, of the blue, you know. What I love of Costa is, uh, again, language. Mm. So important because um, we all know these things. This is things that we all can appreciate and, uh, and we need to just uh, bring them back into our um, narrative reality. We want these stories to be in our narrative reality. You do that through love, entertainment, humbleness. Costa is the most humble person. You know, it's, it really is, you know, uh, outstanding. It, 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 it's, it's but also teacher. so incredibly authentic. Authentic, absolutely. Authentic, yeah. Authentic, humble, warm, um, funny, and uh, at the same time, you're speaking the truth. Yeah. You speak. Yeah the language of dirt, let the dirt speak through you so that it can be heard. Mm, amazing. Oh, and Diego, um, what's your hot tip for being more environmentally friendly or aware? I think grow food because teach you a lot. Mm. Even just everyone can do that. You get a pot in your windowsill. And um, it was amazing to see what happened through COVID, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everyone wanting to grow things. And it was incredible to witness the process of understanding cycles yeah. that happened yeah, through yeah. that yeah, as well. Because three months later, there were people pulling out carrots from this pot and worked out and far out. I waited three months for this. And the learning curve in that is understated. When you grow food, you understand the, the reality of resources and care and what it means for a plant to become something that feeds you. So when you go back to the, to the supermarket and buy a bag of carrots, you fully understand what yeah. it means to grow these carrots. So grow food, it will actually unpack a whole bunch of ecological uh, Reality, ecological rules, ecological imperatives that everyone should be aware. While you grow food, you find out there's a whole bunch of weeds growing in these pots as well. They're edible too. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Our last, a very last question for you. Do you have a slogan or a mantra or a key message that you live by that you'd like to leave our audiences with? Can I go for it? Go, yeah. If it looks like a stick, it tastes like a stick. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. Say, and is, and again, as I said before, you know, it's funny. You remember it. And it yeah. makes you realize how much you know already. Yeah. yeah. Foraging, foraging is common sense. Mm. There is no university degree they're ever going to teach you foraging. Horticulture, they teach you 20, 30 edible plants, kill the rest. Mm. Environmental manager, they teach you the native, kill the rest. Agricultural system, they teach you the 20 economically viable variety, kill the rest. So foraging is the skills you learn if you listen to your uncle and aunties, oral histories. Yeah. That's always has been always being taught. People ask me, so what's your background? Are you a botanist, um, uh, horticulture and things like that? I'm a farmer, mate. Yeah. That's what I am. Yeah. Come with me, walk with me. You find out that, oh, actually there's, okay, maybe I should pay attention. And I say this in, in, in full respect to everyone else, because at the end, at the end of the day, uh, we all go through journeys. We all have different part of the journey. So it's not that I know more than others. I'm just, I don't know, I, I know 20 more plants than you do. That's all. It's all a journey. Different people have a different place and different people take a different journey in different directions. It's all about respecting everyone's journey. And while you're walking, please become aware of the voice of the dirt. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, thank, thank you so much. much, Diego. That was just an incredible chat. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, girls. And it was so good to chat with you. Local environment heroes Saving the trees and the bees And doing it Local Environment Heroes is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples, the traditional custodians of the Canberra area. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And we recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and communities. Subscribe to the Local Environment Heroes podcast wherever you find your podcast and sign up to CEC emails via the CEC website, canberraenvironment.org. Thanks for listening.